And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the best Newcastle podcast on the planet? Would you like to be front and centre on Pod on the Tyne alongside George, Chris and Taylor? Would you like to reach tens of thousands of highly engaged Magpies fans every week? God, of course you would. Well, your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. Hello, welcome to Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne. This is your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And I am here, of course, with Chris Woff. How are you, Chris? You all right? Um, yes, I'm all good because uh, there wasn't a match over the weekend. It was just everyone just went down to London for a nice weekend out. Then about. Nobody yep. remembers what happens between half four and half six. And then I came back. Saw James and last night he in a new in a first he managed to as he was lying down getting changed managed to projectile poo across the room directly onto me so that's that's sort of my week summed up right there it was almost like he aimed for you Chris exactly yeah it was almost yeah. like top everything off here you go lovely it's a good good start good solid toilet start again this week <laughs> nicely done thanks for that You're welcome. and Jacob's back as well Jacob how how the devil are you are you all right Did you have a nice weekend no cup finals where you were was there. No, it's pretty, it's, uh, pretty quiet, pretty football-free, apart from kind of a mysterious two hours sat, sat watching something. The thing we do not mention. Exactly. Um, definitely feel a slightly less um, buoyant mood amongst the podcast today, though, so far. Yeah, I, got, I, I think it took until about tea time yesterday for me to just fully understand just how knackered I was after the, after the weekend, Chris. I, th- I don't know how you felt about the whole thing, but... My legs, my head, everything was just me back. Everything was just gone. I've never walked so far in my life. Yeah, I think everyone was just running on adrenaline, weren't they? And obviously there was very little sleep down in the in the, in London and everyone was so... and It was just a caught up in the emotion, enjoying it so much. And yeah, you didn't quite realise. And it is, I mean, we drove down, as, as I know you did, Taylor, and that is quite a energy sapping. I was sat in the back of the, the car trying to do work. It, it, three of us sat in the back of the car, squeezed up. So my neck Ooh. hasn't been great ever since as well. But no, I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of it apart from those two hours that uh, we don't talk about. Well, unfortunately, Chris, we are going to have to talk about them now. <laughs> For this is a podcast about Newcastle United. Um, it's only three days since the cup final. Um, Chris, how are we feeling about all that now, looking back? Um, fairly similar to the emotions that I had and the feelings, my immediate reaction on Wembley Way when we did the previous podcast. I do still think that Eddie Howe's assessment of it was right. Newcastle did a lot of good things, mm-hmm. particularly between the boxes, but a couple of errors defensively 
um, and some wastefulness in terms of actually getting the ball into the box and creating openings beyond sort of Alan Sam Maximan's effort and then Joe Linton's later on. Newcastle just lacked the quality in the key areas. I think they did so much right, but it's it basically sums up the last few weeks for them. What they are lacking at the minute is that cutting edge and that because they aren't capitalising on those moments, they are then susceptible to if they fall a goal behind, whereas previously we know they went on the ridiculously long clean sheet run and they were taking the chances in the first half of the season and unfortunately they came up against a team who, although I thought, certainly during the second half, I thought Man United sat back too much and if Newcastle had scored before the sort of 75 minute yeah, mark, I think the game would have changed. It, it's A lot of people go, oh yeah, well Man United could have stepped it up, but they really, you could see Ten Hag was getting frustrated on the touchdown because they'd completely sat off and Newcastle had control of the match other than not actually be able to create those clear-cut chances. So there's, there's frustration in that I think the game was there for them to a certain degree and they just still can't score in cup finals. 1976, still the most recent, which is... Uh, very long time ago, isn't it, Chris? That's a long, long time ago. Um, yeah, I think in, in in the initial aftermath of the game and the, and the disappointment of all of that, I think I was really tired and I was really sort of down about the fact that we hadn't really made many chances um, and we hadn't really caused an awful lot of problems to Man United. But then watching the game back, I, I, I had a slightly different feeling about it. I actually thought we didn't play too badly in the first half. We created a bit. There was There was... You know, there was chances from some Max Manor. The ball gets in a bit quicker of Callum Wilson's a couple of yards further forward when that one's flashed across the goal in the first half. There might have been a goal there. You know, we didn't just go there and capitulate and roll over and have our tummy tickle, did we, Jacob? We Newcastle actually went and, and did have a goal. No, you're right. Um, I think I should start by saying how impressed I am that you actually watched it back. I mean, my... <laughs> Any sort of tough loss, my instinct is to kind of shove it under the bed and never think about it again. Well, that's because so, I'm a professional, Jacob, and I host a podcast about Newcastle United. And also, I was very drunk during the game. So the- <laughs> I feel like usually the analysis, though, is pure vibes and emotion. So actually kind of a tactical analysis of going back kind of is an unprecedented level of research for, yeah. from my experience over the last two months. I mean, I was just um, seeing if I could see myself in the crowd. That's all I was doing, really. But, you know. <laughs> um. Yeah, they did give it a good go. It felt like Bruno got on the ball early and often, which was encouraging. Um, Amaron had a had a decent first five, ten minutes, but then obviously that, that pass meant things unfurled, unfurled a little bit. It's weird. I, I just kind of felt like they felt a lot more vulnerable in transition than I've seen them before. I probably don't have enough pure football knowledge to really go right into all of the details of why exactly that was tactically. But kind of my overwhelming feeling of it was just that Casemiro really is very good at football yes. in terms of winning it back in midfield, in terms yep. of starting those transitions. And Rashford is very good in transition. And sometimes it's relatively simple factors which dictate games. In the Prague Irish bar where you watched it, Jake, what was the were other were the, were the rest of the bar engrossed in the game? Was you the only one watching? And in terms of that, if there were people watching, what was the split in terms of who you think people wanted to win? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'll paint a picture. I was walking over the Charles Bridge in the middle and I suddenly realised there's a Six Nations game on and that the Irish bar had advertised itself as being home of Six Nations. And usually I've got quite a rugby background. I usually always hope that they are showing rugby in the pub and I realised for the first time in my life that this had switched to football. 
get in, back room, Scotland, France on the TV, slightly concerned, but then the lovely lad behind the bar said, oh, I don't want to put it on front room. And there's sort of seven, eight tables there. I'd say five properly watching. Of that, there was one Manchester United fan and probably three tables of Newcastle fans. Um, it wasn't like a super vocal one where the whole time it was kind of all illustrated in grunts rather than words. It was all <laughs> fully sort of or, the whole yeah. way through and kind of not really much solidarity, just purely kind of everyone staring into their star of Pramans, making slightly unintelligible noises for two hours. And then everyone got up and, and walked sadly into the night. It's interesting you say that because I kind of felt like the atmosphere inside Wembley was a little bit strange as well. Um, it didn't feel like an away match, which I thought it might have done. It didn't feel like a Newcastle away game. It felt like a, a bit like a home game where people are a little bit edgy and a little bit tetchy and unsure about how they are supposed to support the the, the team. And and I think having a lot of people there who've, who've bought tickets but have been split up from their mates and split up from the people who normally they would sit with and go with, I do think that took something away from the atmosphere inside the ground. I'm not saying for a second that Newcastle fans weren't loud and that they didn't show their support. They definitely did. But it wasn't the same as what I've I've heard it and how I've felt it in the past. Um, I know up in the upper levels, I was down in the lower levels and it felt different in the lower levels apparently to what it did upstairs. Apparently upstairs, it was pretty quiet and there was people sitting down. Down in the lower levels, everybody was stood up for the entire game and it was... I don't know, it just felt a bit disjointed. It didn't feel like you were one fan base in there, in that in that side. It just felt like we were kind of split in half or something. I don't know. I don't know how you felt, Chris, on the day. I don't know whether it was anything you noticed about the Newcastle fans. or. Well, I'm pleased that I wrote in the build-up to it in, in our sort of um, round table ahead of it that I don't like Wembley because it's now not just bitter that, that it's because it's because Newcastle have been there and lost. I did, I just... I, I, it was more impressive having partisan supporters and the the war flag display before the game and also in an in, in extra time an injury time sorry was was phenomenal and I thought it did start off quite loud but then yes it, it did taper off a bit but I don't think the ground is sort of set up for that I just think it's it's basically built to be a sort of corporate structure so that that's where they want the FA want to get the majority of their money from and I think that they, yeah. that it feels like that and, and and there are so some of the fans are so far back in terms of when you're at the top that yes I did think that there were parts of it where it did feel a bit quiet but also I think probably nerves and shell shock took hold yeah um absolutely. the way that man united scored two quick goals and it just seemed to suck the life of, out of newcastle for the last part of the first half so that probably played into everything as well because I, I wouldn't say that it was newcastle fans were drowned out by man united fans certainly not i just think there was a combination of factors as to why that may have been the case i think when the rashford goal goes in i was right at the point of thinking now listen come on we can we can get back in this We've conceded, but you know we we haven't looked like conceding until that point. It, we're not doing too badly here. And then the Rashford goal goes in. You go, I genuinely don't know what I do now. I don't know how we can get back in this game. It was, it did feel like a punch in the gut, Jacob. It just felt like all the wind had been sucked out of me. Yeah, it's just when you have two in such quick succession, both kind of half chances as well, which is probably what feels quite tough about it. And Newcastle having missed their own half chance before. Um, just going back to the, the fan thing, actually. Um, I had quite an interesting chat with Andrew, who's one of our editors at The Athletic and also a Newcastle fan. And he was kind of talking about how he sensed quite a, a split in the fan base between the older fans who are used to 
you know, four successive Wembley defeats and were kind of feeling a little bit pessimistic about the whole thing compared to kind of a younger generation who hadn't experienced that and who believed this is Eddie Howe's Newcastle, they're a new Newcastle, things could be different. And how he kind of feels now like that latter group might be indoctrinated into the ways of the first group. But I was wondering if you guys kind of experienced that split at all. I had a feeling that there was there was sort of there was some people who were a little bit pessimistic about the whole thing from the get go, who thought, well, we'll go and have a go, but there's there's very little chance of us winning. But like you say, I think the younger fans there was an awful lot of optimism there. And I think people were were excited about the weekend. I saw one particular tweet that said that people commenting on having a great weekend and enjoying themselves regardless of whether we won or lost, was a loser's mentality. And I don't think I really agreed with that. I didn't like that at all. But that came from someone who was an older fan who'd been there a few times. And they said, it's time for us to stop just enjoying weekends out at Wembley and start actually thinking about how we're going to win these trophies, you know, instead of just having a lovely day out down south with the lads. Uh, something needs to be done in order to start winning. I'm not sure whether I entirely agree with that at all, but I could I could understand the point that he was making. Yeah, I think... Uh, I- I'm of the same view as you, Taylor. If this was Newcastle's third final in three years, then I would agree with that sentiment. But they hadn't been in the final since 1999. Yeah. They were in the relegation zone 13 months ago. I think that from now, yes, the aim has to be that. And it wasn't, the plan wasn't to go there and have a nice day out. Dan Burns spoke about it before the game. Q and Trippier spoke about it. Eddie Howe, they went there to try and win. And Howe said afterwards, it feels like we failed. It's about kicking on now and making sure it doesn't happen again. But I just, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. As of Newcastle haven't been in this position before, they've got a few players who have been, but the majority of them haven't been. And so, as cliched as it is, sometimes you speak to professional sports people and they say sometimes you have to lose to learn how to win. And I think that that's hopefully where Newcastle go from here. Uh, Jacob, just a quick word on Loris Carrius. Obviously, he was making his debut for Newcastle and what a game to do it in. And, and you know, he wouldn't have been expecting to play in that final at any point. But he, he quitted himself fairly well, didn't he? Some questions over the second goal, but I think he's unlucky with the deflection. Yeah, I don't think there's any world in which second goal was his fault. I haven't really seen any Newcastle fans or kind of respectable pundits suggest that it was. I think if it's, you know, Nick Pope who conceded that, we aren't talking about the goalkeeper. And he generally had a had a solid game. He made one really good save at the end of the game, um, where you know the game had probably gone, but it was still a very good save. There was a great save from Vegos in the first half as well, which I thought was a brilliant. Oh save. yes, the top. Yep, yeah, he tipped it around the corner, and then there's a slightly nervy moment after about thirty seconds, where maybe the ball took one extra bounce than you yeah. expected. And I think everyone was thinking, "Oh goodness, is this happening?" But <laughs> I think it was one where he's actually under control the whole time. But you're just a little bit. I instantly thought about you saying, "What's going through Loris Karius's mind as that ball comes towards him on the last podcast before the final?" I instantly thought about you saying that, Jacob, and going, "Oh, not this! Come on!" Yeah, well, l- luckily <laughs> he he overcame the the yoke of history, yeah. even though Newcastle couldn't entirely. Um, but yeah, I thought he had a uh, good game. Like he's, I think it's interesting because he showed if, if he'd have had a a brilliant game he kind of really could show that he is a real option as a starting keeper in this league and that he could have a future at this level and I don't think he actually really did anything to to entirely dissuade that even if that future doesn't lie 
at Newcastle. Do you think he's still likely to leave in the summer, Chris? I think that there's a chance he could stay because I think it partly depends on what happens with Martin Dubravka. If Darlow also wants to go, they've sort of got a decision to make on a few different keepers. And I think Dubravka will probably get options to be potentially first choice elsewhere. So if he goes, then I think it would make sense to keep Loris Karras, even if it is a third choice keeper. You don't want to be signing several keepers this summer, not after the keeper palaver. If I'm not going to go through all of what I said last week, don't worry, everyone. Please don't, Jesus. God, please don't. (laughs) That was a long two and a half minutes, I'll be honest. Um, We have to say, though, Chris, don't we, that even though there is a disappointment of losing that game, things are definitely going in the right direction, aren't they? Well, yes yes and no. I mean, the, the I was intrigued because I did a piece sort of overnight where I basically looked at Newcastle's lack of goals um, and to try and work, so that's now up on The Athletic, to try and work out why why aren't they scoring goals. And what is interesting, and I didn't, in, in terms of, my own th- recollection of matches didn't quite match up with it, is that they are still having very, very good chances. They're just not taking them now, where's the f- we're the first half of the season. Our old friend, expected goals XG, since the World Cup restart, Newcastle have underperformed their XG worse than anyone else. They're basically furthest off, whereas before, in the first half of the season, they were overperforming it. And they've only scored six goals in eight games. The, the, the stats are partly... Um, they basically partly changed because the Fulham game Newcastle had so many chances but equally even Callum Wilson who uh, is so massively out of form again he has actually had more better chances than I thought he had and it's 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 the fact that Newcastle have gone from being clinical as they were between October and November when they were in a ridiculously good run of form Miguel Almiron scoring and is massively outperforming his own XG and Newcastle are benefiting because of that Callum Wilson's on a decent run of form as well other players are contributing to since the restart they've only had five players score in the league Miguel Almiron's got two of them Wilson just doesn't look himself and they, they aren't actually being clinical in those moments so they are being wasteful in terms of openings and opportunities as the way at Old Trafford but the other bit is that they just haven't got that clinical edge and they have to try and, and write that in, in in some way if they if they want to pick up and get where they are, get back on the horse race they were that a fantastic 2022 and so far in 2023 and I've forgotten to mention this so far but I'm going to mention it now Jacob arrives and Newcastle suddenly can't score goals, can't win games. I mean, I'm 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 not blaming Jacob. I'm just mentioning it. What have you got to say for yourself, Jacob? They only lost for the first time since I arrived against Liverpool. But the goals have dried up, Jacob. The goals. I've only won once in the league. What about the goals? I'm not playing up front for Newcastle. <laughs> Are you not? What do you want me to do? <laughs> what about the goals, Jacob? What's happened to the goals? You turned up and scared all the goals away. That's what happened. Like, just because there hasn't been a cup win for 68 years, you can't all go into omens and superstition and curses <laughs> on my poor shoulders. But that's all we've got, Jacob. We have nothing else apart from that. Bless I'm you. a big fan of the sporting curse, though, as a concept. Like, they do add greatly to my enjoyment. So if I am the kind of equivalent of a Mayo curse or the curse of a Billy Goat on Newcastle from an egotistical point of view, I wouldn't mind it. I just do not think it is true. <laughs> well, Jacob, I, I you'll be surprised to hear I'm not a fan of a footballing curse because Newcastle haven't won anything since 1969 and haven't won a domestic trophy since 1955. I am not a fan. My team haven't won anything thing since... Blah, I can't speak. I'm that angry about it. Mine <laughs> haven't won anything since 1995. So, uh... 
Um, let's just... Because sometimes if you're in the doldrums, you need to live a little. And if you can blame fate and destiny, it means you don't have to blame the actual things which are going wrong. So, like, it's a little bit of escapism. Fair play. I'm no fair play at all, but let's move on. Not fair play from you, Chris. (laughs) Uh, yeah, just uh, have, a, have a check of that uh, that article uh, on the Athletic for the full picture behind why Newcastle have stopped scoring goals. And while we're talking about articles uh, on the Athletic, we need to give a bit of love uh, for George's Cup Odyssey series. Chris, a wonderful read, uh, finishing with the uh, the article about the Carabao Cup final at Wembley. Absolutely wonderful series and unfortunately is going to continue into next year. We were hoping that it will be a Cup Odyssey which would just go on one season. The Castle managed to get to a final which I suppose was, was, was unexpected in some ways but basically this is a series which we're going to keep doing until that that Cup curse is broken. Um, but no, wonder, wonderful series and the, and the final piece was very emotional. I, I, if anyone hasn't read it yet then do please have the handkerchief ready because the, the if you haven't already started crying then I'm sure the last few paragraphs will make you because George talks about uh, Gordon, his late stepfather who who died over the weekend as George was, was down covering the game and I was sat next to George during the match and uh, I was with him on Saturday night and the amount that he has put into this, the amount that he did for Gordon, I just want to say he's, he's certainly did him and us all proud with the piece and uh, yeah just much love to him and his family right now absolutely 100% uh, make sure you go to the athletic.com forward slash newcastle pod uh, where you can pick up a subscription to the athletic and pay one ninety nine a month for your first year we're gonna have a quick break and we'll be back in just a tick to talk about man city away This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, chaps, what better way to recover from a cup final disappointment than, oh yes, a trip to the Etihad to face a resurgent Manchester City. Chris, just what you want, isn't it, after coming off a disappointing cup final, this, isn't it? Oh yeah, I've got I've got wonderful Perfect. wonderful memories of going to cover Newcastle at, at the Etihad. I mean, the most mm. recent was 4-0. I think the aggregate score that I've got there is over about six visits is something like 25-3, to three. so zero victories, obviously. Um, yes, a, a heck of a challenge, but if Newcastle players were going to have a bit of a, a hangover from the cup final, then knowing you're facing Man City and the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday means that you just simply can't afford to, and hopefully it shocks them back into, into action, and hopefully uh, I expect to see some sort of changes. I do feel the team needs freshening up a little bit, partly to avoid that cup hangover, partly because things haven't quite been working as well as smoothly over the last few weeks. 
and I'm intrigued to see which way Eddie Howe goes with it because he, there is still so much to play for this season. Newcastle still can secure European football. Champions League football is still within their grasp. Yes, they're four points behind Spurs, but they've got two games in hand and Spurs have hardly convinced long-term either. So... Newcastle need to find some sort of form and, and, and to, to go to Man City and put in a good performance would help restore confidence. I'm not writing them off and saying they can't go there and win. I just think it's 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 looking unlikely at this stage, but they've competed at so many grounds against clubs who they haven't done previously. They went to Spurs and won. They went to Old Trafford and got a draw. They were very unfortunate at Anfield. They got a draw at the Emirates. And so this is, this is the next challenge and uh, hopefully they manage to step up for it. We have to remember as well, Jacob, the, the game at St. James's Park was probably Newcastle's pre-World Cup highlight, wasn't it? One of the best performances they've put in this season and probably the sort of turning point at the early part of the season, which sparked some of those draws being turned into wins. And it showed that we could go toe-to-toe with the likes of City. Yep, a bit of a classic. Um, I think it's interesting to think about Sam Maxman's role in that, which Chris wrote about at the time and to what extent... It was Newcastle structures doing damage and to what extent that Sam Maxman was just on one. But um, he did play really well against Liverpool in the last league match. So there's optimism there. I guess one bit of tempering is that that match is the only time in 11 attempts that Eddie Howe has earned a point against Pep Guardiola, which isn't the most soothing fact to have ahead of Saturday. But I guess maybe it's time in this podcast, just to get all of the post-final pessimism out of the way. Progress. He's, 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 he's made progress in his, in his most recent result against him. Managed to get a draw. So Yeah, he could do 10 successive draws now and then the glory days will come. Absolutely. But the, the goals drying up is, is the main concern, isn't it? I mean, I know Man City are fantastic on the uh, on the attack. The defence will have to be on it. But the, the goals, Chris, are the thing that have dried up. And we spoke about that a little bit earlier on. But what is the answer to this? Where are the goals going to come from? Well, I think that the, the team just needs a bit of shaking up and to try and change. Wilson, in my opinion, just doesn't look right at the moment. And I, I can't put my finger on exactly why that is. He's had various illnesses and injuries and stop start hasn't had too much training but he just looks like he's lacking a bit of sharpness I wrote last week I I would have actually started Isak in the final which is not something I thought I would ever say a few weeks ago but I I think I would maybe make that change and bring Isak in this weekend also bring Anthony Gordon in but but with Isak I don't think it's as simple as some people are saying as I'll just put Isak in the team and that might sort things out because Newcastle will have to play in a different way if Alexander Isak comes to the team. He's not the same sort of striker as Callum Wilson. To stretch the Man City defence to try and get in behind them, that's why I think I'd bring Isak in. But it's also in home matches against teams who are going to sit deep and Isak isn't given room in behind, then whether and, it, and maybe he doesn't have the ability to, to pick up the ball and drive at them as he likes to as well, they're going to have to be a bit more cute in that regard. So I don't think it's just a, a case of personnel. There may have to be potentially a system change or a game plan change or various different things to tinker with until Newcastle finds a solution because right now it just isn't quite working and I get the impression that confidence is starting to drop, whereas pre-Christmas... Confidence was flowing. Everything that Newcastle did was going right, and players had belief in it. Whereas now, because they are getting those openings and aren't actually taking them, that has a knock-on effect to the areas of the game. So I think I would make a couple of personnel changes just to freshen up on the back of of the cup final and see whether they can uh, bring a little bit 
of something different back to the team. I'd also consider putting Joel Linton back into a slightly more advanced position and getting Willock back in the team if they can, yep. because uh, I think they missed Willock's legs in terms of ability to drive forward from midfield. I do think he brings something a little bit different. And then that brings into the question, what do you do, Alan St. Maximan? I don't have the answers to all these questions, but I do think that it's time to tinker and just change a little something. And of course, Jacob, uh, he was cup-tied for the final, but Anthony Gordon could be in line for a start as well. And if he starts, who does he who does he come in for? Yeah, well, I really hope that he gets a chance in his preferred position on either wing. He came on in the last half hour um, for his debut um, against West Ham and looked really dangerous there on the wing. And then the next two games, he both had to, he had to come on at number eight in both due to either injuries or red cards. Um, And that's not his position. Like when he joined, we kind of spoke about link-up play being one of his weaknesses, whereas kind of being on the wing, attacking, that is where he shines. Miguel Almiron's played a lot of football recently, looks a little bit jaded in the second half. It could be a chance to... I know Chris talked about getting Jolinton further forward, but that kind of left wing is Gordon's natural spot. I think most interestingly, if Hal changes system to a 4-2-3-1, the temptation would be to play Gordon centrally, which he did do a bit at Everton and did a lot at youth level. So there's options. I just hope it's not at number eight. Yeah, I would like to see him given a chance though. I, th- I think he's looked bright and sparky when he's came on and he's created and he's made defenders take a few steps backwards, which, you know, you kind of need that. But this is the question, isn't it, Chris? Who does he re- who does he replace? And Alan St. Maximan has kind of started to slowly play his way back into a bit more form. Obviously, he hasn't brought in a goal or an assist yet, but he's looking more and more lively. Miguel Almiron's starting to look a little bit tired and he's played an awful lot of football. What would you do, Chris, if this was down to you? Well, thankfully, it isn't down to Not me. Not to put you on the spot or anything, yeah, Chris, no, no. but you know, just fix the team, Chris. That's what I'm asking you. Well, I, I think <laughs> that what's different about Gordon and sort of previous signings, the likes of when Bruno Gimaraes arrived and the initial plan was Sven Botman, is A, he has Premier League experience, and B, the team isn't functioning like it was when those two players arrived. They didn't couldn't immediately get in the team because they were playing well and they're winning. The team isn't... I don't think it's playing terribly, but it's they're not winning. It isn't quite right. And Gordon was signed in January because he was seen as a long-term target. They tried to made inquiries last summer. He's someone they believe can make a difference to the team. And so I think try and fit him in somewhere. It's it's harsh in some ways to throw him in at Man City away, but I also think it, he's played there before. This would be no different to, to to challenges he's had previously. And I just think it it needs something different. It needs that that little spark and injection, and maybe that will help spur on some of the players who either are shifted to accommodate them or are moved out of the team, and that brings them on again because you need that competition for places. You need the people to drive each other on, and there's been the same 12, 13, 14 players selected consistently for several months now, and. It's just gone a little bit stale, and Anthony Gordon, wherever he can fit into the team, I think it's worth seeing what he what he will and can bring. I was slightly sceptical about the transfer, but I back Eddie Howe and Dan Ashworth. They wanted him long-term. They've pushed for him. He's, he's shown a few glimpses so far, and hopefully he does bring a little, a little something different. And just before we finish off, Chris, as well, where do we stand with injuries after Wembley? Obviously, Bruno... Uh, there was a little injury concern with him after a tackle on his uh, his Man United namesake. Uh, is there any other niggles that have came out of Wembley? 
There's a few who had uh, little knocks here and there, but Bruno's Fabian the main Cher's got a black eye, hasn't he? He'll be yeah, devastated got a black eye. I mean, I, I mean, we could go into the ins and outs of that, and I, I can't really understand how he was allowed to stay on the pitch. I mean, that, he came on in tears, and Botman had to hug him, and it was that's all very puzzling, and I do think concussion protocols in football have a lot to be... Uh, have a lot to, to improve on, really. But that, by the by, he should be all right, unless uh, I haven't heard that he's failed any sort of concussion. He will he will have had some checks this week. But, uh, yeah, Bruno's a little bit touch and go. It's a similar injury to the one he had a few weeks ago and obviously played the following weekend. But whether they want to risk him as much now, I'm unsure. I'm also intrigued to see how Sean Longstaff responds to... He, was hot, he, he, he wasn't great during the first half against Man United, but I don't think he was terrible by any stretch, and he was taken off tactically so Newcastle could change things. Hopefully he doesn't take that too much to heart, but just responds and keeps going on the form that he has been on. So I think, apart from Bruno Gimaraes, most of the selection decisions this weekend for Eddie Howe are ones where he, he, he gets to choose that. I think it won't be to do with fitness. There may be a bit of fatigue copping up here and there for a few players but I think Joe Willock should be uh, in contention to start and then yeah it's whether Bruno Gamaraj is deemed fit enough or not Fair play Loris Curry is to keep his place Chris do you reckon? He may be on the bench but even then it may be Martin Dubravka on the bench So uh, Yeah of he, course he, uh, So Yes, I very much expect Nick Pope to be restored to the starting eleven, and rightly so Not that's nothing against Loris Curry it's just Nick Pope other than getting a Unfortunate red card has done absolutely nothing wrong in any castle shirt so far and has done a heck of a lot right. So Right then, chaps, shall we finish things off? Anything else? Anything else to add, Jacob, before we finish? I just want to go back once more to defending myself against the accusations of curse because it has been no. spinning around my mind for the last 10, 15 minutes. And I want to suggest a different curse. And this is partially because he isn't here to defend himself, but Newcastle won their last trophy in 1969. Certain member of the podcast was born in 1970. <laughs> I, I'm all for blaming George for anything, so I'm quite happy with this. I just want to reiterate that it wasn't me. I just think that over 52 <laughs> years, it's a larger pool in which to work out a curse. <laughs> 52 years compared to six weeks. And so that's my final contribution to suggest the corking curse and no sort of whitehead witchery. <laughs> Well, you can put that to him directly next week, Jacob. How about that? We'll see how he how he feels about that. <laughs> as long as it's not in person, because I do want to keep my nose the shape it is. Okay, very good. Right then, let's wrap things up, chaps. Thanks very much for your time. It's been a tiring week, shall we say, but obviously Man City is on the horizon and we hope that Newcastle can find some form again. Uh, make sure you go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can get a subscription to The Athletic and pay just pound ninety nine a month for your first year. Chris, And if that's not value, Chris, I don't know what is. Listen to this podcast certainly isn't value, so if you manage to, oh. if, you get, if you subscribe, then, then that's, oh, that's certainly that is, value for your money instead. That is a dagger to my heart, Chris. Disgusting. Uh, right, thanks a lot, chaps. Thank you very much to all of you out there listening as well. Thanks to everybody as well at the weekend who came and said hello. Thanks to everybody who came and uh, had a little chat with us for that little podcast that we put out directly after the final. It was good fun to make and it was uh, it was nice to speak to fans and have fans' voices on the show as well. It was a really lovely thing to do. Uh, so thank you very much to everybody. That's it. We shall speak to you next week. From everybody at Pod on the Time, thanks a lot for listening. Take care. Goodbye.
Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.